another. That's one of the last things Jesus said to the, the apostles. He said, uh, people will know you're my disciples if you love one another. And so that's one of the things that ought to describe the church, that we should have a love, a love like nobody else, a love that everybody looks at and says, you know, how is that possible that these people treat one another this way and they treat other people that way? I mean, the, the kind of just love that people don't, don't quite grasp. That's the kind of love that we ought to have for each other. We ought to take care of one another. Another thing that we read all over and over and over again about uh, the church in the Bible is that the church is gathered that the church comes together, that they gather together, that they meet on a regular basis. We talked about that question that people love to ask, do I have to be a Christian, uh, excuse me, do I have to go to church to be a Christian? And that's really the wrong question to ask because that's one of the things that we see over and over and over again in the scripture. First of all, the scripture is written to the church. I mean, the majority of the New Testament is addressed to the church, so that ought to tell you the importance of the church. We, it talks about how the church is the bride of Christ, and so... One of the things that we do as a church is we gather together on a regular basis. Another thing, we just talked about this last week that describes the church, is that we are equipped, that Jesus equips us with what we need to grow in our faith. We talked about babies and how, how much we love babies, and they're cute, and we love to hold them and all this stuff, but you, you wouldn't want a, a baby forever. Eventually, a baby needs to grow up, and it's the same same is true for Christians as well. That when you become a Christian, you're sort of like a new Christian, a baby Christian, which is great. That's awesome. Everybody loves a baby. But at some point, you've got to grow up and continue to mature in your faith. And Jesus equips us. He helps us to mature and grow in our faith. And finally today, we're going to end by talking about the fact that the church is on a mission. The last thing we see in Scripture is that the church is on a mission. They're united by one thing, one mission. We, we read in the New Testament how the church, they met together and it says they had everything in common. Now, does that mean that everybody agreed? Does that mean that everybody looked alike and had the same interests? No. It means that they had the most important thing in common, a desire to reach other pe people with the good news of Jesus Christ. But the one thing that I want to point out to in where we started this series is that it all started with an investment. Jesus made an investment. And when Jesus came to this earth, yes, he preached to the masses. Crowds of people followed him around. But he invested the majority of his time, of his quality time, with 12 men. He invested deeply in 12 men. Now, an investment is when you take something small, seemingly insignificant, but it grows over time and it turns into something big. And that's exactly what Jesus did with the apostles. It was a small group of guys. And not only were they a small group of guys, but they didn't have a whole lot to offer, it seemed like. They, didn't, they weren't well known. They weren't educated. They didn't have a lot of uh, uh, abilities that, that most people sought after. But yet Jesus used these men, and he absolutely changed the world with 12 men because he invested in them. So as we close this series, I think it's only fitting that we return to this imagery of investing. We're going to talk uh, about a story about a guy who made an investment in three different people. And their responses were a little bit different from one another. And the truth that I want you to see in this passage that we're going to read is this, that Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, there's only going to be two reactions. There's either going to be joy or there's going to be weeping. And your reaction to Jesus returning doesn't depend on what you have and what you can offer to him. Your reaction to his return, whether it's joy or weeping, depends on what you've done with what he's given you. What you've done with the investment that he's given to you. 
Today we are in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 40. I'd encourage you to open up your Bible, follow along with us, or your smartphone, whatever you use, tablet. It'll be up on the screen if you don't have any of that with you. I'd like you to have it in front of you. That way you can kind of go back. We're gonna, this is one of those things that we're going to keep coming back to stuff. And I'd, I'd like for you to be able to see it with, for yourself if you can. Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. And this is what it says. For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to, entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he went away. He who had received the first five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five more talents. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with him. And he who had received five talents here... Five talents, here I have made five more. His master said to him, well, gun, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also said, he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered me two talents, here I have made two more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid. I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. Excuse me. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at least, and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will be more given, and he who has, has an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So this is a story about an unexpected return. You ever been the victim of an unexpected return? Maybe... Uh, Maybe your wife left you home alone for a week, went out for, you know, a girl's week or something like that, and you thought you had more time, you lived like a bachelor while she was gone, and you thought you had more time to clean up the house, and she came home four hours early, and of course you're going to use those last four hours to clean. So she comes back and sees that you've been living like a pig for a week. Or, or maybe a um, maybe, uh, boss left you in charge. And uh, you thought you were doing a decent, decent job, but you really kind of wanted to get your act together before he came back. And let's say he came back early and things weren't quite as controlled as what he wanted or, or maybe what you wanted. Or maybe your parents were supposed to be out of town and, and they came back unexpectedly and surprised you. Uh, that happened to me one time. My parents didn't come back, but I can remember one time. I was a little bit, I hate to admit this, of a rebellious teenager. And I was far from God for a few years. And... Um, my parents, I had done something, and I had gotten grounded. And so they said, here's a list of the things that you can do, and here's a list of things you can't do. You can leave the house to go to youth group, and that's the only time you'll leave the house. And they were leaving town, and I don't know what they were doing. They never did that. Usually they would cancel plans to make sure that I did what I was supposed to do. But they didn't do that. They trusted me. And uh, so anyways, they, uh, they left town. And I, I did go to youth group like I was supposed to. 
But then I had some friends that said, hey, you want to come hang out or do something? And I was like, sure. And so I disobeyed, and I did what I wasn't supposed to do. And I, I knew my mom and dad weren't going to come home, and they didn't come home early. But here's what happened. My uncle, who lives in Houston, Texas, just happened to be coming through my hometown. And this is before the days that everybody had a cell phone, so I don't know exactly how things went down. I can't remember. But all I know is I either got a call from my I think I got a call from my mom, and uh, she said, you know, why weren't you home? And I might have I even lied to her. Like I said, I was far from God. I'm embarrassed to even admit this. But uh, she said, you're not at home. Your uncle from Houston happened to stop by, and you weren't there like you were supposed to be. So I thought, of all the ways to get caught, my uncle, who I love, from Houston, Texas, caught me not doing what I was supposed to do. Um, I was surprised by an unexpected arrival. Well, this is one of those stories where there was an unexpected arrival. And the servants, they knew their master would return. That wasn't a surprise. He said he'd come back. But what they didn't expect is it would take as long as it did. But you know what really strikes me about this story as we read through this? Is how much these guys have in common. I mean, really, I mean, they're, they're servants. That's something they have in common. They are all given something by their master. And they all know that the master is going to come back. They have those things in common. But yet there's two different responses that we see in this story. And the two responses couldn't be any different. One is one of joy when he returns. One is one of weeping. So how is it that three men, all given something, all servants, how is it that their response was so different to the master's return? They're all servants. All had been given something. All knew that he'd be coming back. Why were the responses so different? Now, this is what we call a parable. Now, I grew up, I went to a Christian school, I can remember, and we had this saying, and maybe you've heard it, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. In other words, a parable is a story, that it's not something that actually happened, it's just an illustration. Jesus uses these all the time. He's using an illustration, something that may be difficult to understand, and he takes something that we do understand and tries to explain something that maybe we don't understand. So this is an illustration, this is a story. And just to kind of get you a frame of reference here, if, this, if the life of Jesus were kind of like a play, we'd be entering the final scene. Jesus has come into Jerusalem. That's the place that he came to die. Uh, he went into the temple and he chased them out. He saw the money changers there. They were keeping people from God. They were there to sacrifice. And what were the people doing? They were jacking up the prices of the animals, making it almost impossible to worship God because of money. Jesus comes in there, chases him out. He says, you have made my father's house into a den of thieves. Get out. Chases him out. He pronounced the woes on the Pharisees. He said things like, you know, you guys are like whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but inside you're full of death and decay. Then after that, he leaves the temple, and he begins to spend time with these 12 men that he's invested so much in. And he's teaching about the kingdom, and then he starts talking about what we know as the return. Now, when you read the Bible, you need to understand, you need to read it according to um, how the original audience heard it, okay? So understand that the apostles don't know what you and I know. They don't understand that Jesus is gonna, going to be leaving the earth. Jesus has tried to tell them, but they haven't accepted it yet. They haven't understood that. They don't understand that Jesus is leaving. They probably thought he was talking about uh, taking the throne in Rome. That's what they really wanted. They wanted Jesus to be a military leader that would overthrow the Romans and return the Jews back to their rightful place. So that's probably what they thought he was talking about. But Jesus is actually talking about leaving the earth and then coming back. And they don't understand that, but we do. So he tells this story about a master and three servants. He gives one five talent, one two, um, and then the other one he just gives one. 
And the talent, we know it was a large sum of money. There's a lot of speculation about how much it was. One author I read estimated that it was 75 years worth of an average daily wage. So it might have been as much as that. It might have been much smaller. We don't know, and it really doesn't matter. We just know it was a large sum of money. But the sum isn't important. Jesus here, he's talking about the end times. And we know that because if you're looking at your Bible, if you've got a, a paper Bible we can, where you can actually see what's before and what's after, you'll read things before this, this passage here. You'll read about how Jesus says, you don't know the day that our Lord is coming. And he says, don't think that my master is delayed. He talks about being ready. That's what this passage is all about, being ready for the return of Jesus Christ. That's what it says here. It talks about two men will be walking down the road. One will disappear, and, and one will still be there. Two women will be grinding at the stone. One will disappear. One will be left. So he says, we need to be ready for our master's return. And then after this, he describes judgment day. So we know he's talking about the end times. So when we look at this story, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's an illustration. So the master is Jesus. And when it talks about the master leaving on a journey, it's talking about Jesus leaving the earth. It's talking about him going away into heaven. And then it's talking about this, the journeys, this time between when he ascended into heaven and when he's coming back. And so Jesus is talking to his apostles. But we need to understand, Jesus, did he come back during the apostles' lifetime? No. So this conversation that we're reading, this isn't just for the apostles. The reason Jesus has this conversation with the apostles is so you and I can sit here and talk about it now. This is something that was to be passed on until Jesus did return. So this message isn't just for the apostles. This message is just for, is for us as well. This is for anyone who's heard the good news of Jesus Christ. But as I was reading this story, I mean, a couple of questions kind of popped into my mind. The first thing that I noticed is I'm a little bit uncomfortable with part of this story because we live in a society where everything's supposed to be fair, Right? I mean, that's, that's how people, it seems like they want to they make sure that the, the playing field is level and that everything is fair. Now, my parents raised me and told me, life's not fair, get over it. But it seems like maybe that's becoming less and less and less. The fact is, life isn't fair, but everybody wants it to be fair. Everybody wants everything to be equal. And so there's something that bothers me about this is that uh, these guys were each given different amounts of talents. Did you notice that? One five, one two. The other one won. Why is it that they were given different amounts? It says that they were given according to their abilities. So maybe one servant had proven himself more than the other. We don't exactly know what that means. But maybe that's something that we're a little bit uncomfortable with, is why is it that, that these guys were given different amounts? And so, again, this illustration isn't just for the apostles. This illustration is for us. So if Jesus is the master... And the journey that he takes is while he's away from this earth, then who are the servants? The servants are us. We are the servants. And again, that's where I get a little bit uncomfortable because why is it that some people have been getting five talents and others two and others one? Why is it? And what are these talents? It's, I mean, we know that talent in this day was, was money, but what are talents? Because this is an illustration. What is he really talking about? What does Jesus give to us? Well, it might be money. It might be a, a, a talent actual literal talent. It might be spiritual gifts. It could be a lot of different things, but it's the resources that Jesus gives that, gives to us. So again, the question is, how come some people have more than others? And we feel like that sometimes. Why can't I have that? Or why can't I do that? Or man, that person's so talented. Why can't I be as talented as so-and-so? But sometimes we're so busy looking at what everyone else has that we forget about what we've been given. 
and using the talents that Jesus has given to us. And one of the things you need to understand, and I want to offer you some comfort with this, is did these servants, did they earn what they were given? It said that they were given according to the measure that they deserved or something like that. But did they earn what they were given? No, they didn't earn it. It wasn't a wage. It was something their master entrusted them with. It wasn't even really theirs. He just gave it to them and entrusted them with the care of it. And the same is true for us. Sometimes we like to focus on how much God gives us and why didn't God give us more. It doesn't matter how much you've been given in terms of resources. It's what you do with what you have been given. It was something that was given. The same is true for us. I went through a period in my life where I was, um, I mean, I'm still like this too. I'd hear a preacher speak, and every conference I went to was almost painful because I'm like, man, why can't I preach like that? (laughs) Why can't I talk like that? Why can't I be a minister like that? I'll never be able to live up to that person's legacy. Why can't I be more like that person? And I'd start to kind of question, am I even cut out for this? Is, Is this even something I'm gifted enough to do? And uh, it's kind of like my wife, she has a shirt that she bought a couple weeks ago, bloom where you're planted. And uh, I kind of, uh, not that exact wording, but I kind of finally understood that, you know, God has given me something. I don't know if it's a lot, I don't know if it's a little, but I know that he's gifted me in some ways. And I know that there's no doubt in my mind that this is where he wants me to be. And so I finally came to the point where I thought it doesn't matter how gifted I am. God has placed me here for a reason and I believe that God has equipped me to do what he's called me to do. So I'm not going to worry about how much or how little I've been given. I'm just going to try to do the best with whatever I've got, wherever he puts me. But it took me a long time to get there, to be comfortable with the measure that God had given me. Now, let's not use this as an excuse for laziness or not to pursue greatness. I'm just saying we need to stop worrying about how much somebody else has been given in relation to us. We need to worry about what Jesus has given us. So the one with five talents, what did he do? He made five more. Went to the traders and ended up making five more talents. The one with two talents, what did he do? He did the same thing, doubled the investment. But the one that was given one talent, you start to understand why he was only given one. What did he do? He took it and he buried it in the ground. Now, again, what is the investment that that we're talking about? What is the investment that that he makes? If you were talking about the people of God, if, if Jesus invests in us, what kind of investment are we talking about? If he invested in the apostles, what are we talking about? It's a little bit hard to define definitively because Jesus doesn't tell us. But if I had to guess, I think that John 20, 21 tells us. Another one would be the Great Commission, Matthew 28. But this one here, John 20, 21, very, very clearly says, I'm going to skip the first half. It says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Jesus invested in the apostles with the truth of the gospel, with the expectation that they would do the same. That they would do for other people what Jesus came to this earth to do for them. He's talking about the investment that he made in them. The knowledge of the good news of Jesus. So when we talk about the investment that Jesus has given us, that's that's the bulk of it. That we know the good news of Jesus Christ. If you're sitting in this room, you know the good news of Jesus Christ. If you don't know the good news of Jesus Christ, I will tell you right now so that before you leave this room, you'll know the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ is this, that God, came, that God created this world, that he loves you. Loves you so much that he didn't spare anything. He sent his son to die for you, for your sins, because we're all sinful. And that one day he's coming back. For those who put their hope and trust in him. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. So that's the investment that he's made. And he's given us different gifts to share that. But that is what he expects us to pass on to other people. So 
there's three men here, but there are only two responses to the investment that the master gave. The first two do the same exact thing. What do they do? They sought out people to trade with. They invested their master's investment. That's pretty risky, isn't it? You ever hear one of those investment commercials at the end? There's always that disclaimer, uh, investments may lose value, blah, 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 blah. You ever hear that? And they warn you because investing can be a risky business. You can lose your shirt over it. You invest in the wrong things. The same is true with the investment of the gospel. The gospel, the good news is an investment. And if you share that with other people, that's you investing in other people. If you share the good news of Jesus Christ with someone else, that's you investing in them. And that's risky business, isn't it? Because they could reject you. They could ridicule you. I mean, it costs you time. It costs you energy. It takes commitment. Investing is risky. So the first two guys, they do the same thing. They made a good return on their investment. The third man, what did he do? He buried it in the ground. This is rich analogy here. This is a rich analogy. He has no interest in helping his master build his kingdom. He's just trying to cover himself. That's it. He doesn't realize he's not bright enough to, to realize that his master's kingdom is his kingdom. That his kingdom is only going to be as great as his master's kingdom. If he were to make the master's kingdom great, he doesn't understand that, the, that his greatness is going to increase as well. He doesn't get that. So instead, he just tries to cover his butt, buries it in the ground, so that nothing bad will happen to him. And I was thinking, how many people have done the same thing? If we're, the, if we're the servants that this is talking about, how many people have done the same thing? They have taken the investment that God has given to them and they've buried it in the ground. They've buried it with unbelief. They say, oh, I don't believe that. I can't believe in all that stuff. <laughs> what do you believe in? That's any more reasonable than what we believe. Some people bury it with unbelief. Some, some people believe, um, bury it with worldly possessions. They say, well, you know, look at what I've done. I'm a self-made man. I pulled myself up by the bootstraps and look at everything that I give. I, I came from nothing and I've built all this. You may have worked hard for that. You may have worked your hands to the bone for that. And that's good. That's what we should do. But at the end of the day, anything you have comes from God. That has to be our attitude. So sometimes it's, it's worldly possessions. We bury it. We bury our talent with that. Maybe this guy, maybe he just thought he had more time. You know people like that? They say, oh, yeah, I believe, and, you know, I'll get my act together one of these days. You've got all the time in the world. But who knows how long that is? You've got all the time in the world to get your act together. But we don't know how long that is. It could be now. It could be tomorrow. It could be the next day. We don't know. But one of the things that I notice about the servant is he doesn't seem to know the master very well. Did you, did you see that here in the story? He doesn't seem to have a relationship with the master that these other guys have. Because he says, you're a hard man. Well, let's think about this. How bad of a guy could he have been? He gave these guys an investment. The other two, when they made a return on the investment, what did he do? He invited them to be part of his kingdom. He couldn't have been that bad of a guy. But this man is afraid of him. He says, I knew you were a hard man. It reminds me of people that have trouble believing in God. They have a lot of misconceptions about God. Just like this servant had misconceptions about the master. He said, you're a hard man. What do people say about God? They say, God, I can't believe you could do this. I can't believe in a, a good God because how could God let this happen? And how could God do this? And, and we ask these questions. It's because we don't know the master. 
We don't know the love that he has for us. And sure, there are things in this life that we don't understand. But anybody who thinks that about God doesn't know him very well. So we need to get to know him. But there are three men here, but only two responses. The two double their master's money, and one doesn't. There are three men here, but there's only two consequences as well. And that, that's, I think, really significant because the consequence for the first two men is the same. Now, isn't that significant? They were each given different amounts of money, but the reward was exactly the same. Going back to this idea that each of us has been different, di- given different abilities and talents, in the same way, it doesn't matter how much you've been given, that's not how you measure your success or your whatever it is, your, your faithfulness. As long as you're faithful with what he's given you, whether it's a little or whether it's a lot, the reward is exactly the same. That's what we see here. It's the same exact wording. One guy made two talents and one guy made five, but he still says the same exact thing. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of your master. It's the exact same thing. Sometimes we're so obsessed with what we've been given, but how much we've been given doesn't matter. It's what we do with it. And what happens to these two guys that are put in charge? Their master's kingdom now becomes theirs. They helped build it, and now they are part of it. They didn't earn it. It was something that was given to them, but now they're part of that kingdom. Romans 8, 15 through 17, I think, is a, a good description of what happens. It said, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified in him. See, we are joined in with the kingdom of God. But all these men, they had the same position. But the consequence for the third man is different, very different. The consequence for the third man is separation. He says to this man, he said, you wicked and lazy servant. And what does the servant do? He starts to make excuses. He accuses his master. He says, you're a hard man. And the master, you can't quite grasp it in the, in the English language, but if you get in the original language, you can understand this. He's not agreeing with what this guy says, but he does say, even if I were unjust, even if I were a hard man, if you knew that about me, if you knew that I harvested where I didn't plant seed, if you knew that about me, then you should have at least taken it to the bank and returned my money with interest. But now he's lost out on money because it's been sitting in the ground. Even if I were unjust, even if what you said about me was true, then you should have known better. He uses his own words to help him to understand that what he did wasn't right. He said, you are worthless to the kingdom. You haven't added anything to it. In a way, he took it away. Because the master lost out on interest. And because of it, what happens? It says he's cast into the darkness. You know, when you're cast into the darkness, you know, if you think about it, I don't know about you, but I can't get any work done after dark, it seems like. I mean, obviously, if it's office work, but I'm talking about, you know, working outside, once it gets dark, it's hard to get anything accomplished, right? Especially when, you know, when you're mowing, for example. You've got a certain amount of time to get it done, and once it's dark, you're pretty much done. You can put lights on your mower, but then you got to deal with the people complaining about you mowing at 10 o'clock at night and things like that. So, I mean, once, the, once it's dark, you're done. It's hard to get things done after that. So, I guess the point that I'm making is this, that it was too late. This man couldn't rectify his mistake. He couldn't work off the debt that he had accrued. The time had, had passed. Darkness had come. 
He said darkness, a place of darkness, a place of weeping, and a place of gnashing of teeth. A place of when you gnash your teeth, you're in agony and pain. That's what this servant, that's his consequence. So what's the, what's the point for us? This is a story, this is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. What is the point for us? The point is this, that whether you realize it or not, you've been given something. Whether you realize it or not, somebody has invested in you. You are here for a reason. And I don't know what brought you here. Maybe it was a person. I know at the end of the day, it was God. God led you here. And not even just here. I just mean to a place of faith. It doesn't have to be here. But God has led you to this place through someone else. Somebody has invested in you. He's given you something. So the question is, what has he gifted you with? Some of you, you have no problem feeling gifted. You have no problem at, you know, telling other people how gifted you are. You love to tell people how gifted you think you are. I've done this and I've done that and I've accomplished this and that. And if that is your attitude, I, I want to confront you on that and ask you, where does that really come from? Yeah, you're a hard worker. Yes, you're smart. Yes, you've done all these things. But where did that come from? You need to give credit to the master, the one who gave you that. Some of you have trouble realizing that you're gifted at all. You feel like you have nothing to offer. You need to understand that that is a slap in the face to the creator. That he, he has gifted you. He has made you unique for a reason. And when you say, well, I just don't have anything to offer, what does that say about him? You have time. You have abilities. You have opportunities to serve both within and outside the church. Maybe it's getting involved in something, you know, really specific, or maybe it's simply showing people what a Christian lives like. Some of you say, well, you know, I can't teach or I can't preach or I just work, you know, some menial job. It doesn't matter how much he's given you. It's what you do with what you've been given. It's about what you've done with the investment. You see, the church is on a mission. There's no spiritual competition here. We're all doing the best or should be doing the best with what God has given us. The time, the talent, the abilities, anything he has given us, we're trying to work towards one goal. But I want to remind you that one day Jesus will return, and I wonder what he'll find. What, were your, what will your response be? It'll be one of these two things. It'll either be joy or it'll be weeping. How will you respond to the return of Jesus? You see, your response won't depend on how much you have, but how much what you've done with the investment that he's given to you. Have you made a return on the investment that God has given to you? If you have heard the good news of Jesus Christ, and I know everybody in here has, unless you were sleeping when I um, shared it earlier, but all of you have heard the good news of Jesus Christ. All of you have been invested in by God. So don't take what God has given you and bury it in the ground and keep it to yourself. But if you know the good news of Jesus Christ, go out there and show people what it's about. Tell people what it's about. Invest in other people like people have invested in you, whether it's inside the church or outside the church. That's something that this church is passionate about. We talked about how last week how we're equipped. And if you open up your bulletin, you'll see four words at the top of your bulletin. Encounter, commit, equip, and serve. That's what we as a church do. Those are four things that we do. It's right up there. And that's kind of the growth process for our church. We want people to, to come to this place, to encounter God, to meet him. We want them to stick around, to commit to his word. That's why we have uh, classes that meet after this, so that we can be committed to the word. 
The other thing is we try to equip people, prepare people for service. We do that through our small groups. But the final step is to serve. And not everybody's there. You might not be there. You might not be ready to serve. If you're an immature Christian, you probably should, you know, mature before you get to that point. But at some point, you have to come to the place where you're willing and ready to serve. There's a lot of people that have been coming to church for years and years and years, and they have the ability to be mature Christians, but they haven't come to the place where they're actually engaging and getting involved. And that's my hope for you, is that you come to the point of of spiritual commitment where you're willing to serve, where you're willing to sort of repeat the cycle. People have invested in you. Are you ready to invest in other people? God has invested in you. When he returns, when Jesus returns, what will he say about the return on his investment? Let's pray. God, we're thankful for this day. I'm thankful for this church and this group that's gathered here. Lord, I'm thankful for your investment in us. We know that we are extremely blessed, Lord, that a lot of us have have grown up in the church and grown up with the knowledge of you. Some of us, Lord, have absolutely squandered it. We've buried it in the ground. We haven't been serious about our faith. We haven't shared it with anybody. Lord, and we thank you for your forgiveness. We know that as long as we understand that now and as long as we change, what happened in the past doesn't matter. But, Lord, help us from this day forward to take what you've given to us, the investment that you've made in us, the truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Help us to take that and to make a return on the investment, to serve other people, to show other people the love of Christ. I pray, Lord, that you help us to, to have the courage to do that. And I pray, Lord, that when you return, that every single person in this room will respond with joy, not weeping. Because, Lord, we're without excuse. We know the truth. Give us the strength to accept it and to share it with the others around us. Let's hear him our pray. Amen. My uh, invitation to you, you can go ahead and stand up. We're going to sing a song of invitation. And uh, that's exactly what it is. We always want to offer you an invitation. And that is to take a, the next step in your faith. And, and you might be taking, you know, nobody's step is exactly the same, I guess is what I'm saying. So I'm not exactly sure where you're at in your faith today. But I want to let you know, we've got elders. They're going to be at the corners of the room. If you've got something that you want to pray about, maybe you just got a struggle going on in your life and you feel like you just kind of need to unload that on somebody, they'd love to pray with you. Um, maybe you feel like there's something that you're being pulled to do. Uh, maybe you've never put your hope in Jesus Christ. I hope you know that, you know the good news. I already shared it with you. And if you believe that, that's all it takes. Saying, yes, I believe. Yes, I want to commit my life to that. If you've never done that and you need to do that today, I want to welcome you to do that. Maybe you just realize that, you know, you have squandered the investment that God has made in you. You, you know, you're raised in the church. You know the good news of Jesus Christ, but you've kept it to yourself. I just want to invite you to ask for forgiveness and make the commitment that it's not going to stay that way, that you're going to take another step in your faith and actually do something with what God has given you. You might be the most successful person there is in this whole county or this whole, you know, planet. But there's going to come a day when Jesus is going to return and uh, it's not going to be worth much. So what have you done with the investment that God has given you? That's what's really important. I want you to think about it as we sing that, this song of invitation. If you got something on your heart today, go to one of these elders or make your way up front and I'll meet you down here. But if you've got something tugging on your heart today, I want to invite you to share that. Let's sing the song. Amen.